For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bit and bridle into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, of sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace By those who make peace. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have given hard words in this passage. You have spoken hard things that it's not just Brett standing up in front of here saying, I'm nervous about hearing this. It's me and it's everyone here because we know that our tongues cause trouble. That they hurt others and we are hurt by the words of others so lord i pray by your holy spirit to give me freedom in my words to give me a guard and caution and wisdom with the things that i say now and that what i say would be clear so that those who are hearing these words preached would be changed because your word says that it brings forth life, that the implanted word bears fruit, that it saves, that it heals. Lord, teach us by this word for your glory's sake. Amen. So I've got 45 minutes. Let's do this, okay? Words. We live in a world full of words every day. You and I speak, and it can be downright terrible. Okay? We hurt each other, and we hurt others with our words. And the crazy thing is that if any one of you, we could just line us up, start the service, we'll all have a line, and then we'll all come up and we'll just tell the story. This is the time when in 1985 I was spoken to by my dad and he said this and it wounded me so deeply that for the rest of my life, till I'm here when I'm 35, I'm thinking, how do I deal with this? Words just, bam, 
cut and destroy and harm us. And we know that this is not the way things should be. This is not the way things should be. We see a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend uh, coming up in the church. Two people um, starting a dating relationship. And that guy, he is wooing with his words. He's being kind. He's being smooth. He's being gentle. He's just all on top of, they're looking over here. They're, he's on top of what he's saying. You don't like the, the next part you won't like. But that same man who is saying all these good things, all these gentle things, all these wooing words, he might find five, ten years, they get married, they have a few kids, and he's just belittling her and destroying her and cutting her up every day and wrecking that marriage. And that beautiful young 20-year-old girl becomes a bitter 35, 40-year-old woman walking through life totally dissatisfied, totally run down, totally hurt because words have just cut her up, destroyed her. Man, that's the stakes we're playing with here. That's the stakes we're playing with here. Words are just have so much potential to hurt, but they also have great potential to comfort I think any one of us, if we could think of just other times growing up, what was our life like? We had our family. We saw families around us. We met people. We had friends. And there was always that one or two people around us that you're like, what is up with those people? Every time I talk to them, every time I'm around them, every time I'm eating dinner over at that family's house, there's something about the way they speak to each other. It's, I don't understand it. It's loving. It makes me want to be around it. You know, anybody seen that? I have. I remember just seeing various, not always Christian families, but Christian families when I was not a Christian and saying, what is it about the way that they speak to each other that is just so different from the way me and my brothers speak to each other and the way our whole family speaks to each other? We know deep down that this whole, this terrible picture that I just painted of, of words just destroying lives, that's not what God intends for our words. It's absolutely not what God intends. And so before we get to James 3, I just want to do a couple things to, to, show our, to show us who is this. I'm a preacher of the word of God right now. I'm before you preaching the Bible. And so if we're going to understand this, we need to go back to the very beginnings of this and look to our God and say, how does he talk? What's he like? Is he like the, the husband who's just, you know, you're bothering me. I can't believe you cooked that again. What are you doing? You don't please me. You're ugly. Or is he like the man who's like, oh, I love you. Come be with me. Let's, let's go out to dinner. I want to I wanna treat you right. I want to... Uh, you know, I'm the dad who's like, let's go play catch. Let's do fun things together. Let's serve each other. What's God like? What's God like? So if you want to turn in your Bibles, let's go just very briefly to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. This is amazing. Genesis chapter 1. And it says, let me get my thing here. says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters so here's god hovering over the void the chaos and god said with his words let there be light and what happened what happened there was light he just spoke, boom, light. Amazing. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the day, uh, called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So we see in the Bible that the words that God speaks are creative. 
And then he makes man. He goes through this whole series of days and he's like, I make this, I make this, I'm going to see land, sky, everything. It's made, it happens, it's done. And it just is. And he looks at it and he says, you know what? That came out of me. That was my words. It's good. Period. Good creation. And he makes as the pinnacle of his creation, man and woman. And then he gives them good commands, good words of blessing. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and everything that entails. Have a life of flourishing, blessing. You can eat of everything in the garden. Anything you look at is yours to have, except for one thing, because I care for you. I want you to look to me to know what is good and what is evil rather than eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and getting that knowledge yourself. His commands, his blessing, his creation, everything he does, good, loving, gentle, kind, protecting them, keeping them from harm, putting them away in the way of flourishing and fruitfulness. And then the amazing thing about our God is this creature he made, Adam, this man was alone to begin with. We know what happens next. God put him to sleep, he can da, 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 and there comes a woman. And Adam wakes up, and what's the first thing that comes out of Adam's mouth? A poem. A love poem. He says, behold, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she came out of man. He sings a love song. How awesome is that? It's not girly. It's the most manly thing ever done. Boom, love song to a woman. That's our God. That's the kind of thing he creates. Unfallen Adam singing love songs. Amazing. And then we have the first words of the woman. And unfortunately, at this point, the story goes very badly because the serpent is in the garden and, and he says to the woman this. I, I'm going to lose my place here. Now, the serpent was more crafty. This is Genesis 3. Then all the other beasts of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Lies. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. We all know what happens. Eve, having listened to the deceit and lies of Satan, believes him instead of God and sins. And Adam sins along with her. And from that moment on, all of the chaos, all of the horribleness that our words um, the power that our words can have in a negative way come into the world because of sin, because sin comes into the world. But then God, knowing that he has a great plan for his creation, he's not just done with it. He wants to save and redeem this people. And so he begins the long centuries process of redeeming the world. He says that one day there will come a savior who will put Satan under his feet and will put an end to the forked tongue lies of the devil and bring in a time when we will all experience the love and care of words that truly heal. Isn't that amazing? And so we get to James. So 
So if we could turn back to James 3, not to James 3 actually, but to James 121, 126. I want to just show you a few things. We've been really blessed to have Josh and, and uh, Stuart preach on the book of James. We're going to hear um, Ron here shortly. And I'm going to get a little bit into his text, but I'll try not to step on it too much. Um, and we've seen a number of amazing things. We've seen how to bear up under trials, how to have joy under trials. And we've seen with Josh the sin of impartiality. The thing is with the book of James is James is trying to get us to understand some key things about the Christian life. He's trying to to show us what it looks like to live a consistent Christian life. And so really this discussion of the tongue doesn't begin in chapter 3. It begins in chapter 1. And so if we look at, at 126, it says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, so is like a rider on a horse, he's got a bridle in the mouth, you all know what that is. I go this way, I go that way. Is, he says, if anyone does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in, the affliction, in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So really what we're seeing in James is James is giving us sort of a rubric to understand how do we evaluate a Christian life? Walking along, I'm saying, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. You're poor. I don't really care about you. I worldly, you know, whatever, show me the latest movie, give me the latest magazine, I, whatever content comes into my mind, bring it into my brain. And when it comes to talking, say what you need to say, say what you need to say, say what you need to say. Better to say too much than not to say what you need to say. That's the line of the world about our words. You know, it's a little bit of a dated reference, but... You know, John Mayer song, say what you need to say. That's a lie. If we just always say what we need to say, we often end up just cut them down, slice it up, open the wound. Let's see it happen. But there are three things that James says are true religion. And religion is a word that's much maligned in our day and age, but we need to just understand it in context. When we're talking about religion, we're not talking about empty, you know, smells and bells and just being at our worship service and raising your hands. It's not just the trappings of faith. It's a life of faith. True religion is all of, the, all of your life being lived out before God. And James says there are three things that help us to know if we're actually religious, if we actually are living a true life of faith. And you probably saw them there in the text. The first one was bridle the tongue. The second one is serve those in need. And the last one was worldliness. And I already explained that a little bit. You see, the the thing is, as Christians, we cannot live just by creeds and confessions. I love creeds and confessions. All day long, give me creeds and confessions. I raise my hands when we read them. But the fact is, is if I say, holy God and love became perfect man to bear my blame on the cross, he took my sin, blah, 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 blah and I don't really believe the gospel, it's completely worthless. If I think the right things about the atonement, but don't actually live a life that lives out the atonement, I haven't actually experienced the atonement. Okay? Later on in James, he gets at this where he talks about demon faith. Where we've all, you know, Josh has explained it several times during worship service. We've all heard this. The fact is, the demons have correct understandings about God and they shudder. But they're demons. Doesn't matter how correct their understanding is, they're living a life in rebellion against God. And so. This discussion about, in chapter 3, about the tongue is really a way for us to evaluate 
And so if I were to put a proposition statement on this message, if I were to say, this is what this message is about, I wouldn't first say, this message is about the tongue. I would say, this message is about giving you a framework to look at your life, your faith, and your practice, and figure out if you are actually a believer. If you're a believer, if you're following the Lord, if your religion is true. That doesn't mean we're just judging things on the basis of external works, okay? Do I say the right things? How do I know? How do I know if if I'm a Christian? No. What's... I'm getting ahead of myself. What's the heart that brings this forth? And so, there's a couple things I just want to remind us of as we consider the fact that we're evaluating ourselves, that we're evaluating our faith. And that's that this is a mixed thing. I'm talking to people out here. Many of you are believers. You confess Christ. You believe in the gospel. And then some of you have been raised Christian. Maybe you call yourselves a Christian, but maybe you're not a Christian. And then some of you have never called yourself a Christian and simply, you're just living your life and you're, you're listening to this guy preaching about the Bible and you're, you're just hearing me out. So, who I want to talk to right now is those who are believers. Just to point out a few things earlier in the book of James. Because James really comes off as like a bunch of rules. There's a lot of rules in the book of James. A lot of things he's just saying, don't do this. It's not good. But the fact is, is in James 1.18, God says this about those who have believed in him. So he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation, of his creatures. So I just want to remind you ahead of time, that is proof in James that he believes in God's unilateral working apart from works. So we're not earning our salvation. I'm not being clear here. Let me give it to you again. We're not earning our salvation, but we are, verse 18, brought forth by God of his own will, not yours. So if you've been born again, you're born again, not because you stated the right creed, you made the right decision, you attend the right church. You're brought forth because God said, saved and made you something new. Now, in response to that, your life changes. And we're going to get at that. The idea is similar to what we see in Ephesians 2.8 when it says, when it says um, God saves by works, by, by grace, right? Let me, let me look it up. So we, God saves by grace. But what does he save us for? Does it, can anyone tell me what does he save us onto? Louder. Works. So he saves us in such a way that we change, that we work, that we bear fruit. And that passage in James says, once again, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a what? First fruits that we should be living a life that bears fruits. If there's no fruit, it's going to tell us something about what's going on. So, so what I'm going to do is, is a few things that are just going to help us through chapter 3. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to describe the destructive power of the tongue. This is what James does in most of the book, in most of chapter three. It's not really saying, do this, don't do that. It's just saying, this is what the tongue does. It's bad, right? And then we're going to look at the source of the problem. Where does all this difficulty with the tongue come from? And then we're going to look lastly at the solution, what God's solution is for the problem. So, so the first thing we're looking at is what are the dangers of the tongues? And uh, I'm going to look at a few different ones here. But the first one is this. The tongue has the power to condemn. And we see that right there in the very beginning of chapter 1 when it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. So the warning is, those, is to those who are aspiring to teach. And uh, who gets to take the microphone off? I'm done. <laughs> this is very sobering words. That as we seek to teach, if those of you who seek to teach, so I'm speaking to my brothers Ron, and I'm speaking to Josh and Stuart, or anyone else that's seeking to teach. There's danger here because God is saying that it actually brings greater condemnation. And the reason this is, is that that words are incredibly powerful. Like we saw in the very beginning of the message, God used words to create the world. And in Matthew 12, we get a little picture of this. This is the passage that I had Josh read too much of by accident, but the first part was right. Um, It says this, it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, sorry, it doesn't say that. It it does say that, but what I was referring to was, will be judged for every careless word. Yeah, there it is in verse uh, 36. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account For every careless word they speak, for by their words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words are so important because a pastor or anyone who teaches is directing and leading the people of God in some way. He's bearing the weight and responsibility of hopefully presenting what this word says to you in a way that's accurate. And rather than bringing condemnation on you because you're not understanding the gospel right, it's bringing condemnation on him because his carefully crafted words end up turning into words that, that can destroy marriages or cause difficulties in all kinds of ways. The word, the tongue is dangerous because it can do this. It can bring condemnation And if it brings condemnation on those who teach the word, it also brings condemnation on any of us who use our words carelessly. The next thing the tongue does is the tongue has the power to direct. We see this um, in the next verse when it says, We stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. See, the fact is, is when, when James talks about stumbling, it's, it's just a euphemism for sin. We all stumble in many ways. He acknowledges that we're not perfect. We, we stumble, we fall, we make mistakes in the words we say. And sins of speech are so pervasive that James figures, if you can control this, if you can get a handle on how you speak to others, you can actually get a handle on your whole body, on, on all of your life. It's not likely that we're going to be perfect in this life. But it is just as an aside, something that if you struggle with self-control, if you struggle with sins in other areas of your life, you may want to step aside and start to just look practically at how do I talk to other people? If you grow in your ability to control your speech, you're going to grow in your ability to control everything in your Christian life. Not likely to be perfect, but you are going to grow. So this power to direct just could give us, could lead us in, in hugely different directions. You know the proverbial story that the person who tells one little lie, then it becomes two lies, and then it becomes a whole life that is protecting a complete sham hiding just under the surface. That one direction that you set becomes a course for the entire life. But it can also set a course in a positive direction, right? If we speak words that are healing, speak words that are good, We can be leading ourselves and those around us in a way that leads them in good paths. Leads them toward grace and mercy. 
See, if we turn to First Peter, just over a few passages, a few pages, First Peter chapter two, the following is said about Jesus. He committed no sin. Neither was sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, when when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So approaching his death, approaching the brutal crucifixion, Jesus just continued to speak grace or to not speak anything. And that really came through a whole life growing in wisdom and obedience. And who, who could say this more clearly than James? I don't think, I mean, I don't think of this very often. James, who was he? The brother of Jesus himself. The guy who grew up with him. Who lived around him. Who played games with him, I, I'd assume. Jesus wasn't above that sort of thing. And yet, this James looks at Jesus and he sees this pattern of obedience. Because who else could he be talking about when he talks about the perfect man but Jesus himself? Number three, the tongue has the power to destroy. We see this just in the next passage. I just want to show you these things are right here in the text. The tongue has the power to destroy when it says this, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. The words we say have the ability to just destroy everything around us. When I was in high school, I lived in Missoula, Montana, and I don't know, you probably sometime in the summer you'll see reports on the news coming from California or Montana or Idaho or something. And you'll hear news about forest fires. Okay? Well, I've seen firsthand what happens. You know, kids go off into the backcountry and they have a fire. It's really dry. Some sparks go off. And pretty soon, all the sky is gray and red and the mountains are burning. And I've seen it. It is, it is crazy. But that's how tongue, the tongue works. That's how the tongue works. One little word, one little thing said that's, that's done out of selfish ambition, that's done out of, out of sin and, and a desire to hurt, spreads like wildfire. And that's so important to think about in the context of James here because James is really talking about, about a lot of factiousness in the church that he is speaking with. And we're going through a season at our church where we're going to have people with varying opinions. We're always in those seasons, but we're going to have people that are evaluating things, looking at what's going on. And we want to seek truth and we want to care for one another. But it's very possible that if we just throw our words around with reckless abandon... And tell and talk to everybody about this thing or that thing that bothered us. Then pretty soon, you're going to be like me in Montana. In Montana, we lived on Blue Mountain, at the bottom of Blue Mountain. And if the fire was over there in the Blue Mountains, just a few miles away, just a change of wind could blow and blaze our whole house. One time, um, we were off out for dinner or something. Uh, my mom actually told me this story. I was not there, so just for complete disclosure. But, uh, but Blue Mountain was burning, and, um, and the wind changed, and it started to head down the mountain. And so some friends of ours, uh, having realized this, came over, and they grabbed the irrigation pipes because we had hay fields in the front, and they just started to hose the house down and getting the house as wet as possible because if something went wrong, anything at all, the house is gone. We live in a spiritual house, a church, right? And we're all responsible for forest fires, okay? 
We have to be careful how we speak about each other and about those who lead us. Because the joy and fellowship that we experience now could be destroyed in a moment by allowing carelessness. Carelessness that's often couched in the language of, like, I really care about truth. This can be done in such a way that really hurts. Number four, the tongue has the power to defile. We saw that. I read a little bit about that. It says, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. It's kind of like if you have a white piece of linen and you took a big fat sharpie marker and you just went and you held it there what would happen you just start to see this ink go wider and wider and wider until that cloth was completely useless the tongue is right here and its filth just sort of permeates all over It stains, it defiles. And so whereas destruction on the one hand, sort of I think the emphasis is more on what you do that hurts other people. Defiling is more, maybe I said that wrong. It's it's what you do that destroys things. Defiling is sort of what are the things that you say that bring godlessness and corruption into your conversation? How do you say something where whether you're joking and you're being a little crass? I'm guilty of this sometimes. We've all like where we do things that subtly defile those around us that bring worldliness into our church. It's very easy for the words that we speak to defile. And I want to I want to think about this defiling potential of the tongue in a modern context just a little bit. We live in a world where the words that I'm speaking face-to-face with you are not the only words I'm speaking, right? Where else are you hearing my words? We're on Facebook, you got LinkedIn, Twitter, everything, right? YouTube, you're posting content nonstop, constant feed of who Nathan is or who, who you are. What are you posting there? What are you posting there? Is it stuff, not to say that we need to be all hyper-spiritual on Facebook. Oh, like I love Jesus today and don't you love Jesus? That's not what we're, what we're looking for. That's, that's good. It's good to encourage each other. But, but what, what we need to be careful, like are you posting pictures of yourself or others? that are going to defile the church, they're going to bring a crisis of conscience to other people? Are you posting status messages that are always talking about how wonderful your life is? Facebook apparently causes depression because everybody, when they go on Facebook, is like, I'm so great and everything is wonderful all the time. But that's not how your life is. Like the next minute, you're yelling at your kid, everything is bad. So we want to be careful that we don't defile with defiling words, and then we don't defile with false words, right? We're not being something we're not, and we're not using our words to sort of subtly advance our own love of sin in our lives. And I'll leave you to think about that, but I think that that's just really something we need to be aware of. It's, it's, it's the statuses we post. It's the pictures we post. It's every type of content is just more of a manifestation of us speaking to the world. The tongue really illustrates how profoundly we've been affected by the fall. Because... It does all of these things. It defiles, it destroys, it directs our lives, and it has the power to even condemn us to hell. Okay? So where does this come from? Where does this come from? I mean, most of it, I think, if you're listening, you probably know the answer. It's not the tongue, right? If I took out my tongue, we got like four ounces of meat or whatever it is. That's not the problem, right? Right? That's not the problem. The heart 
is the problem. And we see this again, if you go back to James one twenty six, where he really starts into this whole theme. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, what does he do to himself? What does the unbridled tongue do to you? It deceives the heart. It deceives the heart. Not only that, but all of the illustrations that James used about the tongue are, tongue, are, are illustrations that say there's something in control. So he says, there's a horse and a rider, right? The horse, bitten bridle, controlled by the rider. The rider isn't just the tongue. The rider's the heart, the person who speaks. Just like what Jesus was saying in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks so when you're saying cruel things when you're posting bad pictures when you're writing terrible status messages whatever you're doing that's not coming from just like oh i'm just having fun it's coming out of a heart attitude see this heart that we have as christians It's, it's a tricky issue because we're, we're dealing with inner conflict. Things that, that inside of us, we've been saved. If we've been saved, then we've been given a new heart, a heart that desires God. But we also struggle with sinful desires that conflict against that heart. Right? We see this in chapter 4 where it says this. Why are there quarrels and fights among you? Is it not your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. There are passions and desires that are conflicted inside a person, which cause difficulty. And also... Pardon me, guys. James also points out this conflict at the end of chapter 3 where he asks the question, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So we know that if we're having a problem with our tongue, if that's a besetting sin constantly present in our life, The problem that's there is not so much with the tongue, but with an evil heart. We see this even more clearly back in Matthew, where it says the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What kind of treasure do you have? Is it evil treasure? Or is it good treasure? I just want to confess to you guys, this is a tough passage. And I struggled very much with thinking about how to preach this because this is essentially saying, brothers, if you're speaking one way and professing another, there is a major major disconnect so much so that you're saying that you're a freshwater pond but when i dip my cup in i spit it all out because it's salt right he's saying that if you don't bridle your tongue you deceive your heart and your religion this life you live is worthless so how do we evaluate this how do we evaluate ourselves and say, what am I? Because I'm sure that those among you right now who have sensitive consciences are sitting here thinking, I know that I've sinned with my words. I know that I've said bad things. Are you telling me I'm not saved? Okay. And then others are saying, He's not, it's not the truth. 
so, so I want to talk about how we respond. Where, where are we going to get a solution? Where are we going to get the solution for a wicked heart inside of us? And we see that the solution is that we need wisdom from above. And I would even say the solution is filling with the spirit of wisdom. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit manifesting itself in wisdom. And I'll explain why I mean that, why I say that. It says this in 13 through 18. It says, who is wise and understanding among you by his good contact, con- conduct? Let him show uh, his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he's saying, if you're good and you've got this wisdom, show it out in the meekness of wisdom. And then in the end of the passage, it says this, but wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, if you look at Galatians or you look at passages in First Peter, this is exactly the same language that we use when we talk about being filled with the Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. The spirit of wisdom here, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. Wisdom, gaining a heart of wisdom is the key to having victory over our tongue. But where are we going to go for this wisdom? We need to go to the gospel for this wisdom. And I see that in James chapter 3, verse 7, when it says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, of sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So there's the end of the message. (laughs) You're all hopeless. We can't even tame the tongue. But that really sticks us right up against the wall where we say, what then is the solution? No human being can ever tame the tongue. But Jesus, the God-man, is able to give the grace and wisdom that we need to tame the tongue. We can't tame the tongue in and of our own effort. We can't tame the tongue as somehow a means of gaining salvation. We need to trust in that one-time completed work that I said earlier in verse 118, where it says, we have been brought forth by the word of truth. You see, Jesus lived and died a perfect life of perfect words, full of grace, so that we could have that. We see this in verse 5 where it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If we need wisdom to overcome the difficulties in our sin, in our tongue, We must ask God. Now, guys, I'll ask for your forgiveness because I know I've ventured into a lack of clarity on this. But I want you to know just this simple truth. If you recognize in your life that the tongue has been a problem that you have hurt yourself and you've hurt others with the words you say. The answer is to look to God, the Father of lights. James describes over and over again us as being like the waves of the sea, untamed, difficult, hard to control. But then God is pictured as the Father of light in whom there is no shadow of turning. He is absolutely unchanging and unchangeable completely trustworthy and able to be trusted 
to give you the most important things you need in your life. Not for your own sake, but so that you would live a life glorifying to Him. See, that's the gospel. The gospel is that we don't believe as Christians that if I were to get my words all right, I would somehow be saved. I can only be saved by the Father of light who gives me life and then enables me to ask him for wisdom. Some of you know in your heart that you have not surrendered your life to God. doesn't mean that every word that comes out of your mouth is painful and hurtful. But it means that the character of your life is, is not trusting the Lord. And I just want to encourage you that according to his promise in verse 5 that he will give wisdom and according to his instruction at the end of chapter 3 that he will pour out the spirit of wisdom in those who ask. Repent and believe, of your, repent and believe in Christ. To those of you who are Christians, I want to encourage you not to be discouraged by this message, but rather to repent and believe in Christ. It's the same message for both of us. That as we turn to Christ and turn away from our sin, if we look at these different ways that, that the tongue destroys and defiles and we repent and we turn to God, He will accept us. He will make us his children. He will give us a new birth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the father of light. You are the father that makes all things clear and reveals the mysteries of our heart. And Lord, I pray if, if anyone here realizes that there is a disconnect in their life, that they are professing one thing, but in their heart they truly are not believing it, I pray that they would come to the cross, that they would repent and believe and follow you with their whole heart, that they would turn away from their sin And they would look to you. Lord, be glorified in our midst. Bring sinners to repentance and bring your children to greater degrees of holiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.